New Life South Coast, what's up? What's up? You might be like, wait, wait, you're supposed to be singing, you ain't, you ain't supposed to be preaching and talking. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Elijah. I am one of the worship leaders here, so I do a lot of my time here singing. I'm not saying that I walk through the hallway singing all the time. That ain't me. I ain't like that. But today, I am bringing the Word of God, and I am excited. Yeah. I've been preparing all week, and I feel fired up. I've had people praying for me because, you know, your boy needs it. And so they've been backing me up with prayer. And so I don't know if you could tell, I'm like all hyped up on Mountain Dew, and I am just ready to go. I'm ready to go. But before we jump in, what awesome messages we're, we're coming in from. Rethinking Heaven with Pastor Marco, bringing pockets of heaven to our everyday life. And last week, a hedge of protection. My God, I've never seen a more dynamic and a more like colorful person than Pastor Stretch showing us what it looks like to be protected by God. And this week, I am bringing a message that's gonna kind of come from that. But before I jump in, what you don't know, now you know, this month, October, the uh, month of October, is not just Hispanic Heritage Month, though that's that. Uh, I'm gonna leave that there. Yes, I am Hispanic. But, but, second, but second, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. And last week, it was Pastor Appreciation Day. But Pastor Marco was in Cape Verde, and so we didn't really get to give them a hoo-yah, like an honor them. So Pastor Marco is watching online, and Pastor Lindsay is sitting right here in front. Come on, let's just honor them. Yeah, 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 well, let's honor so much. Yeah. Yeah. We love you. Pastor Marco, we love you. Um, they are our spiritual parents to Mariah and I. And, um, you know, that makes, that makes a grown man cry sometimes. I'll literally be praying for Pastor Marco and Pastor Lindsay, and I'm just being brought to tears because I just love them so much. And we're a church that honors, and we continue to honor. We love our pastors because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. If they had said no to their calling, we wouldn't be in this room. I'm a Mexican. Well, first, I'm a Texan Mexican. Uh, preface, I'm American before I'm Mexican. Don't try to talk Spanish to me. I'm going to stop you and be like... I'll give you American for English first. But the first person I talked to going to ministry school was Pastor Marco. And if he wasn't on the phone, I don't think I would have come. But thank God that he was on the phone. He invited me out to NELC, which is ALC, and I'm here. And I'm so glad I wouldn't be here without them. And yeah. They, my first, I think my first Sunday as a worship leader, they invited me to their house. So I, I don't know Pastor Marco that, that, at that time that well. I don't know Pastor Lindsay. That, they have five kids. I walk in, I'm like, this is awesome. It's wild, but there's such a peace and, and a joy in the house. And I said, you know what, Lord, this is my pastor for life. He's gonna be my pastor for life and I am never departing from him being my pastor. Amen, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But this ain't about me, it's about Jesus. So let's jump into the word of God. We are gonna talk about this man named Jehoash. And at the end of it, you're gonna know a little bit about Jehoash and the importance of knowing this man. So if you would throw up 2 Kings 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 10 through 13. If you have your Bibles, you're holy, open it up. 2 Kings chapter 13, 10 through 13. And if you're a little more holy, you brought your phone, you can open your Bible app. And for those who are really holy, they didn't bring any of those. We got you set up right here on the screen. Second Kings chapter 13, 10 through 14, and we read. 
before I jump in. This might make me cuss. I didn't cuss. I'm saying their name, okay? Don't, I don't want no, cut, no sound bites. It's just their name, and you'll hear why. Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, see, told you, began to rule over Israel in the 37th year of King Joash's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 16 years, but he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led Israel to commit. Next slide. The rest of the events in Jehoash's reign and everything he did, including the extent of his power and his war with King Amaziah of Judah, he recorded in the books of the history of the kings of Israel. When Jehoash died, he was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Then his son, Jeroboam II, became the next king. So what do we get from these few scriptures, these few verses? We get that this man... His name is Jehoash. We get that he is the son of Jehoahaz, and Jehoahaz is the son of Jeroboam. And we get that he is not just any person, he is a king. And not just any king, he's a king of one of, right now in this time, there is a split. There's Judah, the tribe, of, or um, Israel Judah, and then the Israel Samaria. So he's the king of Samaria. And we also read that he was king for 16 years. And and he caught himself. So he inherited a civil war with Amaziah, king of Judah, because again, they were split up. And he also inherited a war with this nation called Aram, which in that time is the Syrians. And what we also read, I'm, I'm just going to give you a bunch of stuff and then we'll, we'll break it down together. And what we continue to read is that he did evil in God's sight. Now, the Bible is really blatant that he did evil in the sight of God. And it's also very blatant that he refused to turn from those sins. So meaning he was stubborn. And when something's written in the Bible, it means that it passed through the channels, meaning that multiple people knew it was talked about a lot to be written in the Bible. So we get this and so everyone knew, all of his people knew that this man was stubborn and was doing evil. So I just wanna preface that. And, and we see, again, he inherited this kingdom. So he picked up this system, we know that from what we just read, that he inherited a kingdom that was doing evil in the sight of God. It wasn't him who brought Israel to sin. It wasn't just his father who kept Israel in sin. It was his grandfather who committed Israel to sin. And so he passed down to Je Jehoahaz, I'm about to, oh Lord, Jehoahaz, and he said, you know what? My, grand, my father is king, so I want to stay king, so I'm going to do what my, grand, what my father did. And, and then he gave it over to Jehoash, and he said, oh, well, they reigned as king, and if I want to stay king, I'm going to do exactly the same thing as they did. So he inherited not just a kingdom, he inherited a mindset. He inherited a family system, and I hope you're catching this, because some of us today have inherited something that wasn't for us. You know? Yeah. I... So when I read this, I, had, I was like, wow, there are some things that I inherited from my father that I inherited from my mother, not sins, because their sins were their sins, but there are some systems that every family has that we inherit. So the way you hold your money or the way you deal with money is something you inherited from seeing from your parents. 
And it just doesn't stop at money. It also comes in with how my father treated my mom. It also shows me how my mom treated my father. I inherited some of that. It also showed me how they played church. They didn't live church. I inherited that. I knew how to show face, but I didn't know how to live it out because I inherited that. And so, yeah, so we see, we see Jehoash inherit a family system of living, of keep going in this sin. I'm going to refuse to turn because my father refused to turn and he stayed king. If I can keep what's mine and I don't have to turn, I'm going to keep what's mine and not turn to the sight of the Lord and say, Lord, be my God and my savior. So we see this king stuck and how we've done it is how we'll do it. How my mom, like again, how my mom did is how I'm going to do it because it worked out for her. She's just divorced three times and dating this one guy, but it worked out for her. She had, she had those guys. It worked out for my dad. He got to sleep around and have affairs. It worked out for him. He got what he wanted. You know, so, uh, some people with money under, under the table, yeah, they got the money. They, they driving the nice whip. They got the Mercedes. They got them nice Jeeps. They got them, they got them nice cars. What's a Bentley? I don't know, Ferrari, Lamborghini, uh, whatever your heart desires of a type of car, put that there. They got this, but they're doing it under the table. They're doing it in a hidden, but that's how their parents did it. And they live good. They didn't have any trouble. They didn't have any trouble. And so he inherited this thing, say how they did it, I'm gonna do it because it worked for them, it'll work for me. But we see it was evil in the sight of God. He, he knew it though. And we'll, we'll get to that. He knew that it was evil in the sight of God, but he refused. That's the key word, he refused. He refused, that's the key word, he refused and he knew it. So let's move on because it's so good. 13, 14. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. He's a king. Kings don't weep, except King David, because, you know, he was melodramatic. But this king, he wept. Kings don't weep. Men don't cry, right? Weak, weak men cry. So he wept. He was, we see that he was desperate. Just by this word, we see that he was desperate. And he runs to Elisha, who's a prophet, and, and he says, my father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. He cried. Now, I'm bringing some context here. He cried this prayer because the prophet in Israel was a symbolism of the power and presence of God with that nation. So in his mind, the prophet is leaving, so the power and presence of God is also leaving. So he had this grueling over him. He's like, oh man, the prophet's dying, so God's favor is gonna leave because the prophet is, is going. But also, if we read in scripture a little more, um, a little bit before, if we would have started from seven going down, in, in the verse of seven in chapter 13, it says, nothing had been left of the army of Jehoahaz except 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, 10,000 foot soldiers, for the king of Aram had destroyed the rest and made them like the dust of the threshing floor. Remember, I said he inherited a war. So his father, Jehoahaz, fought this nation of Aram, they killed them. Like, like seriously, seriously killed them, but they also like beat them, like really bad. That he was left with 50, 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. And if you know anything about a nation, which I know you know, is the power of a nation relies on their military. That's why here in the United States, if you mess with us, you get in the United States military. That's why we, when you look at the tax dollars spent, most of it is going to the 
military. That's why nuclear weapons are such a big deal because it's saying, hey, you want to mess with us? I got some nukes. I'll nuke you. I'll nuke you. That was funny. That's weird. Um, <laughs> so we see he's, he's not just desperate because the prophet's leaving. He's desperate because his army is lacking. He's not seeing just the spiritual side. This dude ain't extremely spiritual. No, remember, he did, sight, he did evil in the sight of God, so he was, there was a disconnection in the spiritual. And so his eyes were mainly seeing the external, what was around him. I'm lacking in my nation's power. And so this also made me think, if, if I had a friend, or if I knew uh, my grandparent, or if you... Whatever. If you had a grandparent who was dying, would you go to them and ask for a favor? That's what Jehoash did. He said, this dude is dying. Let me go over before he dies and get mine. So he was ultimately saying, I don't care that you die. I want mine. I want my victory. I see my circumstances and you can give me exactly what I need. I don't care that you die. It's okay that you die as long as you give me what's mine, as long as you keep me, as long as you give me favor from God. I don't really care about the power and presence because he waited till the last minute to go to the prophet Elisha and then ask for the favor of God. He had so much time to do it, but he waited till the last minute. My ear is getting really sweaty, so that's why I keep messing with my ear. It's not like a nervous tick, I promise. (laughs) That guy keeps touching his ear. What's wrong with him? No, it keeps falling out. (laughs) So he was afraid. And he was desperate because of what he saw. He was afraid and desperate of what he saw. What what happens when you're desperate? You're selfish. You only think of you. There's a fight or flight moment and you tend to think about yourself unless you're one of the great people who who think of others. I know myself, I am am selfish, capital S-E-L, capital S-E-L-F. I am selfish and when I'm desperate, oh, it's heightened even more. And so Jehoash is desperate. But what he doesn't know, and what I didn't know until I dug a little deeper, is in chapter two, when Elijah saw Elijah being lifted up to heaven in a chariot of fire, the heavens were open, and he said this same prayer. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of heaven. He saw the spirit realm. He saw into heaven the power in the nation of Israel, the power and the presence of God in an open heaven. What Jehoash also didn't know is in chapter 6, verse 15 and 17. You want to put that up because this is good. There we go. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Come on, that is good. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What Jehoash missed, what Jehoash missed is that Elisha was still under the covenant of David and so was Jehoash. So he had access to this power. Just because the prophet was leaving didn't mean that God was leaving Israel. He didn't, he forgot that. He didn't know, I don't want to say he forgot, I think he didn't know it because he didn't know God. So let's move on, 13, 15 through 17. Elisha told him, so Elisha is telling this king again, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. 
Elisha told him, put your hands on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. That was a sign of anointing. He was anointing him. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. So when, I want to give you some context here. When usually nations in that time, in ancient culture, they would open a window somewhere where they were. They would grab an arrow. And shooting it towards a certain direction was meaning that they were going to go to war with them. So this was just a sign like, hey, we're going to go to war. There's an incoming invasion that is happening. So that's why, you know, sometimes if you ever deal with prophets or people who have that prophetic gift, they're a little wonky sometimes because they're in like the spiritual realm and then they're in the, the natural realm. And so they mesh two together. And so they get a little weird sometimes, but it's not weird. It's holy. It's good stuff. And so this wasn't just like this weird, weird thing. It was like an actual, uh, it was substantial to what he was trying to say. So he opens this window. And then he said, shoot. And so he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans of Aphek. This is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory. I want to keep coming back to the fact that he did evil and he refused to turn. But this was God's compassion and love to the Israelite people. No matter your stance in evil and in sin, I will still show up for you. That was him. And Jehoash wasn't a bad dude. He wasn't the guy that built a a statue of Baal and worshiped him. He didn't worship false gods. He was a false worshiper of the true God. He knew God. If he didn't know God, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have gone to the prophet Elisha. He would have gone to the prophet of Baal or Baal, whatever you want to call it. He, but he went to Elisha. So he knew of God and he knew the power of God through the prophet. He didn't know it through himself in his own. So he wasn't a false. Uh, he didn't worship false gods. He was a false worshiper. And isn't it like God to love a sinner so much to save him or her? That's what we see in this story. The arrow, this is not just an arrow. This is God's love giving him victory. Remember, he's a, he has oppression over him. He's being, he has a civil war ahead of him. He's doing evil on the side of God. And he is a stubborn man. He's not turning. But God says, I'm going to give you the Lord's arrow, an arrow of my arrow, the arrow of victory. And so let's keep reading. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. Now, 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 when he says strike against the ground, it, I thought he grabbed an arrow and struck the ground. Because he, he needed some humility. You know, he, he's a king. He needs some humility in his life. No, when he says strike the ground, he means open a window, shoot the arrow with no direction, and let it hit the ground. So there's no purpose in your arrow except striking the ground. So it's kind of like practice. That's what he was saying, strike the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. Now, this guy, I want to slap him because he just got prophesied that he was going to have victory for shooting one arrow. Elijah just said, because you shot the one, this is the Lord's arrow of victory, the victory over Aram. And he says, grab your arrows and shoot. And what does this guy do? One, oh, that's good. That, that felt nice. Two, oh, sweet, same spot. Three, oh, good, I'm good. I'm going to stop here. He stopped on three. And let's remember, he is desperate. I keep saying it, but like we read it and just kind of like put it to the side. Like, oh yeah, he's in a war, cool. 
No, he's in a war with Aram who obliterated his army. He is in a war with Amaziah, king of Judah, which he's in a civil war. And the prophet Elisha is leaving. So he has all these things. He thinks the power and presence of God is leaving me. I have no army and I have a a war with Aram. And then I have no army and I have a war with uh, the king of Judah. He's desperate. So so we think. And, and, And the prophet Elisha prophesied, we read this a little earlier, the prophet Elisha prophesied over the king of Aram, Hazel, and he says this, this is what he was going to do, and this is what Jehoash was dealing with. Just to give you a little context, he said he was going to set fire, he was prophesying uh, over Aram that this is what they were going to do to uh, Samaria. He was going to set fire to their fortresses, meaning he was going to burn their houses up, kill their young men with the sword, they were going to rip their little ones to pieces, and they were going to rip open every pregnant woman. Give you some context. He shot three with that. He shot three with a dying army. He shot three with the prophet Elisha leaving. He shot three. And he didn't have any particular target, but he shot three. Why did he shoot three? Why? If you just got prophesied that if you shot one that you would have victory, why stop at three? What would I do in that situation? If my daughter was on her dying bed, wouldn't I do everything that I could to get her the medicine she needed? Wouldn't I do anything if I saw one of you hurting and and, 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 and if there's anything I could do, help you out? Wouldn't I try my best? Wouldn't I go above and beyond to save someone's life? But he stops at three. And I'm inclined to believe because he was so selfish in his mind, he only thought, "I'm I'm gonna save mine. I'm going to save me in time. Future self can worry about future self. You ever do something in this moment and say, future self can worry about that. I'm going to do what I want to now. I'm going to rack up that debt now so future self can worry about that later because I want to feel good now. And I'm inclined to believe that he was caught in selfish motives because he only shot three. And let's, let's keep reading. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times. He exclaimed, then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. He only struck three times. This guy, can you believe it? Can you believe this guy? Only struck three times. What would you do in this moment? What would you do? Would you only strike three times? Oh, I'm good. Uh, Again, he's a king, so he's not an arrow shooter. He only did it three times. And so... I I, I thought of it. Have we ever done things in our life wish that we could take it back? Oh, yeah. Some of y'all saying, yeah, you sit next to your wife. You already know. (laughs) Yeah, honey, that's a little too tight on you. Maybe two seasons ago that would have fit. Don't say that. Please don't say that. I'm still alive because I don't say that stuff. My wife, so quick story about my wife. She um, comes from an Italian mafia, and so I'm very careful with what I say. So... I can, I, can, I can testify that I have not said that because I am still here. But you ever do something and wish you could take it back? I'm a techie. I love my computer. I have an Apple Mac. And my favorite command, a command is just like a short key, a shortcut key. And my favorite one is Command Z. Command Z undoes your mistake. So if you write something, you're like, oh, man, that's wrong. Command Z takes me back to my starting point. And sometimes, <laughs> you're welcome. Welcome to Best Buy, Geek Squad, I'm here to help you. <laughs> and and, and what, sometimes in life, I catch myself doing Command Z, I, well, I'll try. 
oh man, I wish I could command Z paying my bill late. Dang it. I wish I could command Z. My wife hates it when I wait for the thing to get to E. It's not something I do. We live like three minutes away, so I'm like, well, we'll make it. Sometimes I wish I command Z that. Or, or my tires, or your tires, like, you know, when it loses the tread, and you're like, oh, I'll just buy a half-used one. No, baby, buy a new one. You can't command Z when it's winter, and you're like... You know, you're like a fish and you hit like 10 other people. You're the cause of the wreck. Buy new tires. I'm prophesying over someone. Buy new tires. I don't know who that's for. <laughs> but ever do something, you can't take something back. Now, I think of Jehoash in this moment. So he struck the ground three times. And then the prophet, well, he didn't do this. He did this. And then the prophet said, you should have struck it five or six times because you could have completely obliterated Aram. In that moment, I would have commanded Z to be like, let's go back seas, please. Back seas, back seas. And, and thinking, being in the mind of Jehoash in that moment, what would, I, what would go through my mind? You stupid idiot, what are you doing? You should have struck it more. You should have gone a little bit more. You should have tried a little bit harder. I can't go back seas on this, but man, now I know who I really am. Lord, can you give me compassion to try again? Because I really want to give you my best. I'm sorry that I stopped on three. Can I give you a little more? I know I can't go back on that, but I can try again, Lord. Give me some chance. And, and, and I love this saying from Leonard Ravenhill, if we can put that up. Opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. He missed his opportunity. And it wasn't just his life on the line. It was all of Samaria, all of Israel. He missed his opportunity. He finished on three with a total of four victories. Now, four victories isn't bad, right? He got four victories. That's four wins. Four wins is pretty good. Right? I, I think so. And I think he stopped. And, and we can come up with some excuses for him because that's what we do for ourselves. We come up with some excuses, right? Oh, I stopped because, you know, I don't want to go overboard. Like, my bad. I'm sorry. But I believe he made some, he could have made these excuses. I stopped because I didn't have any directions. Because remember, he just said, shoot, strike the ground. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you nothing. The first one I told you, strike the eastern window so you know you're going to war. You know this is for Aaron. You know this is going to bring you victory. And, and he said, I didn't, I didn't have any directions, but just strike, just strike the ground. He could have said, I stopped because I didn't want to go overboard. I didn't want to be, you know, too much. I didn't want people to think that I'm trying too hard. I stopped because I'm not a good archer. Now, again, he's a king. He's not an archer. Usually kings dealt with swords and shields and, and armor. He was a king. So he could have said, I look stupid. I don't want my guys to think, you know, anything less of me. So I'm, I'm going to stop before they think I, I, I'm an idiot. I stopped because Elisha didn't help. I stopped because my wife stopped helping me. I stopped because my husband wasn't going the extra mile. I stopped because my son wasn't listening to me. I stopped because that, wasn't good, that was good enough. I did enough. I visited my kid once a month. That's good enough. He knows I love him. And I know he loves me. That's good enough. I'm going to invest a little bit in my marriage. That's good enough. I'm going to give some of my money. That's good enough. I'm gonna do good enough at work so I can get by so they don't know me, they don't know my name and I can stay here for 60 years and die here. That's good enough. I'm gonna do good enough. I stopped because my heart wasn't in it. I needed a break. My marriage is rocky and we're not getting along. And so I need a break, I'm, we're gonna separate. We're arguing all the time, forget it. I need a break, I need a break from you. I need to leave, we need to separate, a couple months. Instead of staying in the fight, I stopped because my heart wasn't in it. What a weak excuse. He caught himself in the should have, and the worst of it all, it was Elisha who called it out on him. 
Now, when my wife calls me out on stuff, I get mad, man. Like, sometimes, like, if you were my brother, girl, oh, oh, if you were my older brother calling me out, we would have gone at it. But it hurts when someone else calls it out. And Elisha says, oh, it's not up here. Elisha said, you should have. That sucks. Lord, that hurts. That makes me want to roll up in a ball and cry to the last breath. You should have. And I love it because Paul shows us how we can win and how we can run this race. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race that all that raw uh, runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run to win. Jehoash wasn't a winner. He wasn't a winner. He was a quitter. And some of us are quitters, but I'm here to tell you there's something and his name is Jesus. There's a spirit that rose him from the grave that now lives in you that allows you to be that winner. And, and winning requires not quitting. Duh, right? Winning requires going beyond what is required. Not good enough. I'm going to go above and beyond. Those who win the gold medal, they go above and beyond. We love the stories we hear about Kobe because he would show up before all his team, play for hours, and then stay after his team and play for hours. He went above and beyond. Not quitting. Winning requires not caring how one looks. We all care how we look. That's why you're wearing your Sunday best. Well, some of you aren't, but you know, you rolled out of bed. That's fine. I care how I look. I bought this shirt yesterday because I knew I was preaching today. And if you think I don't look good in it, I know I look good in it. Forget y'all. Winning requires trusting the process. Ups, downs, plateaus. Oh man, I hate those plateaus. That's, I, I said it last service, that's why I quit, quit keto. Because I hit that plateau and I was like, you know what, forget that. Taco Bell, come on baby, you're good to me. And you know, you never plateau eating the wrong food. You just go from pound to pound to pound to pound. You're going from glory. You know, oh, don't lie. You know, things, when Thanksgiving comes around, you're eating that stuff and you're going from pound to pound to glory to glory. Winning requires. <laughs> so trusting the process of up and downs, hilltops and valleys. He won a few games, but he didn't win the championship. Imagine going all the way to the playoffs and then you get to the championship game and say, ah, that's good enough. I'd be, if I was your teammate, I'd be heated. Yo, and that just got to me right now. He didn't have a great community enough to say, hey, bro, you're only doing good enough. Think about my family. Think about my children. Think about your children. Think about your family. He didn't have a strong community. Because if he did, his teammates would have said, yo, what about me, bro? Shoot two more. All he, all he had to do was shoot one or two more. All he had to do, oh, here it goes, look at that. All he had to do was shoot one or two more. And we see in this whole story, Jehoash had the promise of God and only activated them when Elisha was dying. He had all this time. From the first year he came into his kingship, he could have ran to Elisha earlier. He even could have ran to Elisha when his father was reigning and said, how do we turn Israel back to God? But he waited to the last minute and he missed his opportunity to give a greater, but he got the victory. 
But isn't that sad that he got some of the victory, not all of it? We get some of it, but not all of it. And we can see ourselves in this man's story. He got the momentary victory with minimal effort. And so today, I believe we are in those same shoes. We are standing right where Jehoash stand. We got one victory. We got two victory. We got three victory. We are shooting our third arrow now. And God is waiting. What are we going to do? What are we going to do in this tension right now? I can keep fighting or I can stop. I can keep pressing in or I can, I can give up or I can keep going in. I can quit on my marriage or I can step into my... Marriage is a holy thing from God. It's the greatest depiction of Jesus and the church. I can give up on that. I can give up on my son who's dealing with addiction. Say, well, that's all on you, bro. Forget you. You're not my child anymore. I can say that. We could. We could give up or we could lean in and do the hard work. And the hard work is not that hard. We make it a lot harder than it has to be. Giving up is easy. And living is harder. I got that from Hamilton, so you, you, can't, you can't give that to me. I got that from Hamilton. When, when we don't have faith, we stop at good enough. And we saw that with Jehoash. Remember, he knew God. He went to the, the prophet Elisha. And he, he trusted what the prophet said. He said, strike the ground. So he's like, okay, I'll strike the ground. I'll give you three, three times. But he didn't have faith for more. He had faith. He had enough for good enough. He didn't know God. He knew, he didn't, he knew of God. He didn't know God. And I'm going to invite the worship team up. And you want to throw up this slide, John 11. Jesus says this. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now. Resurrection in life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. Will live. Will live. And today we find ourselves in those shoes. But like Jehoash, we do have a promise. And that promise is in and through the person of Jesus. The healing isn't the promise. It's Jesus. The restoration isn't the promise. It's Jesus. Pastor Marco said it. We get the presence and then we get the presence. It's Jesus. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is alive in us. It's Jesus who is the difference. It's Jesus who is the promise. So when we believe that the thing is the promise, we miss Jesus. Jesus is the promise. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Jehoash had the promise, but he couldn't move past knowing of the promises of God, and he couldn't move into living in it. He knew of the promise, but he couldn't move into living in it. Jehoash had the opportunity to turn to God, but he only went halfway when he should have trusted God to go all the way. He trusted God for good enough, not the more than enough God we serve. And the crazy thing about it, he knew of Moses and he knew of the Exodus and he knew of Egypt. He knew of the liberation. He knew of the freedom that God brought to Moses and the Israelites. He knew this saying that God gave to Moses to say to the Israelites, I am who I am. Meaning he is all sufficient. Meaning he is good. Meaning he is the difference. Meaning that he can make a way when there is no way. He is the promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. But Jehoash didn't know that. He only knew of it, but he didn't experience. And so that is the difference between you and I from Jehoash. 
we can today believe in it. And we can today step into it and truly live it out that he is in us and we are in him. And the power in which he gives us is only through the name of Jesus, only through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We can hold that promise. And today, some of us, I believe, and I know, are going through circumstances that are beyond our control, that require a lot of prayer, like a lot of prayer, that require some fasting, maybe like 24 days of fasting or 40 days of fasting if you wanna be close to Jesus, you know what I mean? It require a lot of believing and faith, require a lot of community, because you know you can't do this life alone. And once you do it alone, the enemy got you. He wants you alone, he wants you alone. And it's gonna require a lot of legwork. Yes, it does require work. Faith without works is dead. And it requires the legwork to get in the mud, to get in the murk and say, I'm gonna make this work with you, Jesus. You go before me and I'm gonna be right behind you. You stand behind me, but I'm gonna be right there. You're right next to me, Lord, and I'm gonna keep pressing on. It's gonna require some legwork. And the Bible is filled with so many promises. 7,000 487 to be exact, from God to us. 7,487 promises from God to us. And what is his promises? They give us so much life. They help us through the hard storm. They're not just words, they're truth. We've seen it time and time again. When I look in this building, I see the promises of God coming to reality that you are here in this room hearing the word of God. Now, I'm gonna declare these promises over you and I want you to receive them. And just know these aren't words, these are truth. They are truth, they are the foundation to our faith and they are the foundation to life. John 16, says, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Psalms 23, four says, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, he is with me. Philippians 4, 19 says, he supplies all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, 6, he will complete what he started in me. Deuteronomy 28, 13, I am the head and not the tail. Romans 8, 38 to 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God. 2 Timothy 1, 7, I have not given a spirit of fear but a power, love, and a sound mind. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper. Matthew 11:28 28 says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. In Hebrews 10, 23, God can be trusted to keep his promises. So my friends, don't quit in the promise. Don't quit in the promise. You are substantial. You are loved. You are cared for. You were knit together in your mother's womb. God knew you before the foundations of the earth were even made. You are important and loved in the eyes of God. Do not quit in the promise. Save the game. Stay in the run. And for those on the cusp of suicide, you've been plagued with that thought over and over and over and over. And you're thinking, when am I gonna, when am I gonna do it? When am I gonna do it? Don't quit. Don't quit. Get around the community. Get around people. You are loved and cared for. For those whose marriage is on the rocks and you wanna throw in the towel, don't quit. Stay in it. 
There is beauty in your marriage. There's a testimony to that test. There is a message in your mess. Don't quit. I got to do a crew this past Tuesday and there was a, a prayer request. Their son is dealing with addiction and they don't know what to do. And we came around and we prayed and I said, don't quit on him. Keep praying, keep believing, but don't just pray and believe. Make it possible for him to run to you time and time again, even if it hurts you. That's what Jesus does with us. When we fall short, what does he do? I'm still here. He never leaves nor forsakes us and we gotta be the same thing. So don't quit. Don't quit in the promise. I'm gonna read this last verse and I'm gonna end it here. Consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well up, developed and not deficient in any way. Persevere, persevere. And if that's you and you've been under so much pressure and you wanna give in, just like this verse said, don't give in prematurely, stay the long game. And if your hands are sweaty and your knees are shaking and what does Eminem say something about spaghetti, if it's your eight mile moment, I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer with me. And I wanna preface this by saying it's not all encompassing, this is just the start. You say this prayer and say, Lord, I'm gonna invite you into my heart, but this is just the start. You can't say this prayer, walk out and go the same. No, you, you gotta say, God, have it all. Yeah, I'm gonna go to the same surrounding, but Lord, I'm gonna see it differently now. So if you would, everyone, close your eyes, bow your heads. And if that's you, I want you to really sincerely pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm a hot mess. But Lord, I know you can make me whole. So I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my mind. And I say, have your way in me. And now, Lord, I'm forever yours. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.